Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you, Andrew. It's, uh, it's a curious one, isn't it? We joked on Friday about the football being cancelled forever, but it does feel a little bit like that's happened now. Yeah, there's not much going on in the world of Arsenal, it has to be said, on the pitch or off the pitch. It's uh, a bleak, barren wasteland of nothingness, a a tundra. Uh, Yeah, well, very much like North London yesterday. I'll I'll be honest with you, it was... uh, it was all a white. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the same. And uh, it was the same in Dublin, uh, snowing overnight on Saturday and into Sunday. I was out with the dog, snowy, snowy walkies, uh, which was annoying. You know, it's March. You like to think uh, perhaps we might be heading towards spring, but who knows? We'll get there in the end. How was your Sunday? Did you have a Did you have a perfect Sunday? Like our our questioner asked. I had quite a good Sunday. I uh, It wasn't the perfect Sunday that we outlined in the last show, but mm. I had to go to a family event. It was my grandmother's 80th birthday. Hurrah! Yes. Happy birthday, Margaret, for that. And, uh, yeah, it was really nice. Um, but I did a classic sort of me thing, which is that I turned up in uh, much less suitable clothing than everyone else. Not like I was wearing like a diving suit or something, but I <laughs> I was wearing like jeans and a jumper and everyone else had worn a suit. So that's, that's basically, that happens to me a lot. Uh, to me a lot. And, but what was the reaction to that? Was it like, oh, there's James again? Or was exactly. it like... Exactly. It was on brand. It was what they want. They could make the same jokes they always make. Like, oh, it looks like he's just coming off a park bench, which to be fair, I, I sometimes do, as you know. But... Yeah. Um, I think, in a way, I'm just giving the people what they want. Yeah. Look like he's been dragged through a hedge backwards. Uh, I've heard it classic. many, many times. Many, sure especially have. when I had hair. I mean, that really yeah. added to that aesthetic. I mean, well, l- let me ask you a question before we talk about my yeah. uh, very eventful and exciting weekend. Uh, I mean, have you ever considered, you know, smartening up? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> not really. It's just, you know, the amount of effort it would involve me t- making. I, I can't. Well, I think when I set out my life as a teenager, one of the sort of important things that I wanted to try and retain was n- not having to dress up. Well, I mean, dress up, sure, as other people. That's fine. I don't have an issue with that. Right. But dress up smart. I. It's not It's not my thing, really. But I might have to start making an effort, if only to put an end to the bad jokes, because it really it is intolerable after a certain amount of time. 
I, I was going to say about the snow, like what was your point? I mean, you've had similar amounts of snow, I suspect, over there, if not more. So what was your, your point at which the kind of novelty of the snow wore off? Was that quite a long time ago now? Oh, yeah, like within minutes of it uh, right. <laughs> landing on the ground. It's like, oh, it's nice and pretty. And then the roads get all slushy. I mean, I have to say I, I hate slush. That's the yeah. worst part for me. Snow is pretty. You can see it and you crunch through it and it's kind of cool and the dog likes it. He runs around in it and it's it's kind of fun. And you see the kids having fun and that's great. But then the practicalities of uh, dealing with snow kick in and everyone goes, oh, this is terrible. You know, one bit of snow and the whole city, the whole country comes to a standstill. Uh, stand Why is it, you know, they can have uh, 100,000 tons of snow every day in, in Canada and they can deal with it and we get like a light dusting and everything is shut and everything is closed and there's no bread and it's because it's so fucking rare. It just doesn't happen that often. It happens every year at the same time every year in this period called, you know, winter, you can mm. prepare for it. But, like, I think it had been something like six or seven years since the last snowfall of any uh, significance here in Ireland. I mean, it was amazing. There was a big snow in 2010, something like that, for about two weeks. I think you had much the same in the UK. Yeah. And then the very next year, you could see all the garages, get your snow tires, get your chains, all that kind of stuff. They had, they, they'd gone out and bought all this stock, which then I guess they just had to sell off somewhere else because it didn't snow for another seven years. So that's the problem with it is that we get it so rarely or you can't predict when it's going to come uh, that you just can't really prepare properly for it. You know, you might have years without snow. So what's, you know, that's where, that's where it gets annoying. That's, and then the natural disaster that is snow descends on us all. Mm. I mean, it, it is, yeah. I feel for the guys who sell the chains and the snow tyres, to be honest with you, Andrew. I mean, how do they get by? It's been a lean seven years for them. It certainly has. I think they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to reassess their business and business model because uh, mm. it ain't working. Um, my weekend they need was, to make products yeah. that are sort of designed for drizzle or something like that. Yeah, uh, lots of rain. There's a market there for someone who can deal with lots of rain. The umbrella makers, the galoshes manufacturers. They are raking it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um tell you Your what Sunday, I did at the weekend. Yeah, my Sunday was fine. Went uh, for some beers and uh, experienced this strange thing. We were having like a bite to eat and there was a family sitting beside us, an American family, a father, a mother and a daughter. Daughter was, you know, in her 20s and the parents were of the requisite age, I don't know, in their uh, late 50s, 60s, I think. And uh, it was one of those bizarre situations. You know the way they say, people say these days, you know, people use their phones too much. They don't, we don't no. communicate anymore. They're just always on their phones. The three of them sat there looking at their phones, just looking at their phones, didn't talk, mm. looking at their phones, uh, scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever the hell it was. And every so often, the mom would say something to the dad like, uh, oh, look at this, this, blah, blah, blah. And he'd go, mm -hmm, yeah, and keep looking at his phone the whole time. Wow. Like literally the whole time. It was really strange to see. It must have been reading Ask Blog News, am I right? Yeah. Transfixed by it. That's exactly it. Maybe they were FaceTiming each other. That's what I'm going to tell myself to comfort myself about the scenario. Maybe they're all sat there looking at each other's faces, albeit through the prism of their phones. 
Would that be better it or would, worse? It would. I don't know, but it definitely wasn't what they were doing. This is uh, this was very, this was very odd. The other thing I did this weekend was I watched uh, Dunkirk. You know that movie? Have you seen that? Oh yeah, I've not seen it. Harry Styles is in it. That's all I know, really. Yeah, he is in it. He's uh, he's the dude from One Direction, right? Mm. Yeah. I, I swore to myself I would never watch another Christopher Nolan film after Interstellar because that film right. that film wrecked my head. Not yes. because of its complicated science, not because of the, you know, theories of wormholes and fucking but just the the ending of the film made me want to kick my television to death. It really did. <laughs> Seriously. Have you seen yes. it? Have it's you seen just- I, I I haven't actually, but I've been told about the ending. So mm. I, I feel like having been told about the ending, there's no need for me to ever see the film. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. It's three hours of your life you'll never get back. And Internal, that you will never, yeah. but also never be able to forget that you've committed those three hours to something that pays off in such a an absurd, ludicrous, mind-meltingly awful way. But I did mm. watch Dunkirk. I thought it was quite good. Quite That's my review of Dunkirk. It was quite good. Wasn't brilliant. Don't know why it was like up for an Oscar, but it was quite good. Right. Okay. Well, I suppose you know, unlike Interstellar, there is a kind of uh, historical narrative underpinning it, so it, it's difficult to put as preposterous an ending on the end. Yeah. You, know, you sort of got to tell the story, right? Exactly. There wasn't a moment towards the end of Dunkirk where uh, I don't know they emptied the English Channel and all the boats sank to the ground and then they ran home uh, to England waving flags and cheering. They didn't do that. That, that I That's suppose the director's was, cut. That's yeah. coming out apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was about it. It was a very quiet weekend. But I did, I have to say, since the last time we've spoken, we've we've uh, we've seen Jose Mourinho. Um, oh. lose the plot completely. I think that's been perhaps the most exciting development of the season so far to see him losing his mind. I think it's fair yeah. to say that's what's happening, right? I think it is. I mean, his press conference on Thursday or Friday, I forget which, was up there with almost anything we've ever seen in the Premier League era. It was reminiscent of uh, Rafa Benitez's facts speech you know he came out with kind of a prepared 12 minute monologue and it's continued the unraveling over the forthcoming days despite a win for Manchester United so it's good to know that even a positive result can't really influence the gradual dissolving of Mourinho's mind yeah, yeah, it really is. It, it, it can only get worse from here. That's the thing. When you say the stuff that he said about uh, the club, uh, you know, his defense of going out in the Champions League to Sevilla is basically, well, this is what they're used to around here. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's not really what you, you want to hear as fans, is it? Um, to, to You want your manager, I guess, to sort of say, look, maybe that wasn't good enough. Maybe I hold my hands up and say, that's not good enough for a club of the size of Manchester United. We should do better. I take responsibility for that. But that would mean him actually taking some responsibility for it instead of just blaming everything all around him, which is what he does. I mean, he's very good at that. We have to give him that. He is quite brilliant at blaming everything else. Yeah, yeah. Be that the fans, be it the players, be it the culture, be it the history. He'll find something else that that isn't him to find fault in. And it is it is kind of remarkable in a way. I mean, what he has done 
although it has sort of turned some focus on him, it has shifted focus away from the core issue, which is that he's playing terrible football as Manchester United manager and did it, you know, played negatively against Sevilla yeah. and suffered the consequences of it. I mean, now the debate has moved on to something else, this kind of big kind of super narrative of what, you know, are Manchester United a top club anymore? Uh, I don't know if that's deliberate on his part because normally he is a kind of master manipulator of the media. At the moment, it feels like, He's flailing a bit and uh, I'm loving it. I mean, long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. I have to just give a shout out here for people who enjoy uh, a good takedown of Jose Mourinho. Uh, mm. Ken Early on Second Captains did a really fantastic one the other day. Uh, so if you're a subscriber to Second Captains, then uh, you want to check this one out if you haven't heard it already. I'm just trying to uh, reload and get the episode here. One second iTunes is iTunes is acting up, James. Who could have foreseen such a thing? I uh, can't believe it. There's a first time for everything, I guess. There really is. Okay, it is episode uh, 1112, um, and it talks about how the game has changed and Jose hasn't, and Ken absolutely deconstructs Mourinho perfectly. It's, uh, it's a brilliant listen. It's about just 20, 25 minutes of Ken and... Uh, uh, Owen and Kieran talking in the in the studio, but it's mostly Ken. Just he just takes him apart uh, in a very very brilliant way. So uh, if you enjoy anti Mourinho stuff um, or or Mourinho just being absolutely exposed for the uh, I won't say charlatan that he is, but for the kind of man that he is and the kind of uh, character that he is, then that's well worth a listen. Oh, that sounds like a, that sounds like honey in the ear, doesn't it? Uh, I, I tell you what, it's been a good week for enemies of Arsenal. Well, not a good week for them, a good week for us enjoying it. I mean, I don't know if you've uh, read up or seen Charlie Adams' recent run of form, but that's been quite enjoyable too. No, what's that now? Now, people were critical of us, James, I have to say. They were critical I know. that we left Charlie Adam off our uh, list of fat fuck footballers. So we yeah. accept that criticism. We take responsibility for it. We will learn from that. We'll try and be it better. Was, it was certainly remiss. However... I saw a stat fly around this week, uh, this weekend even, that says in Charlie Adams' last 55 minutes on the pitch for Stoke, so that's 55 minutes to put okay. that in some context, he has done the following things. Missed a penalty. <laughs> missed an open net rebound. Gone in studs up for a header. What? Wrestled, <laughs> yeah, wrestled a player to the floor. Uh, given away a clear penalty that wasn't given, put the opposition clean through on goal with a back pass, blasted a free kick into the wall and been sent off. And that's all in the space of 55 minutes. Wow. Wow. That's, I, I don't know what to say to that, other than I'm very I mean, sorry I didn't witness those 55 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame you for not watching Stoke, not desperately s searching out Stoke highlights wherever you can. Mm. All you can say, really, in the same way is that I delivered on my brand by turning up Scruffy for a, a family event. Charlie Adams really delivering on his brand right now. I mean, he is, this is pure Charlie Adams. This is Charlie Adams to a T. Charlie Adam, the uh, the rebirth. Is this, he's just trying to get as much in before uh, before he retires, perhaps. I don't know. It's um, That's remarkable. I did see it the, I mean, going studs, Going in studs up for a header. I don't know. Has he got a boot on his head? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Presumably, he just didn't go in for a ball at head height with his head. He led 
with his foot. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't imagine that he'd be flexible enough to pull that manoeuvre off, but... Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's a horrible image. Uh, Charlie Adams' flexibility is not something I want to consider a great deal, but that is good. That is good. And we do have a, 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 a Stoke-related question, I think, for part two, so we might, we might deal with that. Okay. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about uh, on Friday was the Europa League draw. And oh, that's yes. because it hadn't happened and we can't tell the future. Mm. Mm. So we got uh, CSKA Moscow and we did wonder about the pronunciation of that. So we have a, a tweet here from Vic at Vic Baldry and he said, I wanted to weigh in with some help pronouncing CSKA since we got them in the next round. I'm originally from Moscow and my grandfather is a season ticket holder at CSKA. It's pronounced Tseska. Seska. Sesk, tsk, but there's a, like a Seska, oh, I think. Like a T in it. Yeah. Somewhere. Like if you're Seska. going full Russian on the pronunciation, I guess. But will we just do Seska or Seska? Yeah, Seska. I don't know. I think Seska is manageable for me. See, so this, is the, this is the Bellerin Bayerine thing going on here. Bellerin yeah. Bayerine. Hector, you know, Hector. Do you adapt? Do you adopt the the proper accent? I think Seska is sort of a close enough approximation, and uh, an anglicised version, if you will. Yeah, I mean, we are having a number of teams this season where pronunciation of the the name has become an issue, like uh, Ostersund and Ostersunds yeah. FK, Spurs and Kunz. You know, it's it's yeah. it's been a it difficult period. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Moscow. I mean. The political hot potato, isn't it? It is a bit at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly there's a lot going on uh, politically between uh, Britain and Russia. There's obviously a lot going on in the world, I think, um, w- with Russia as well. But I think we should, as much as possible, deal with this on a, on a purely sporting level because mm. that's what it is. And I think people need a little bit of a... Uh, uh, an escape from everything else that's going on. So I think we look at it as a game between two teams. Tricky, though, for us, because I think we, we've we struggled, haven't we, in Russia? My, my feeling is uh, that we have struggled when we've gone away to Russia. I could be wrong, but uh, my sense of it is, just from my uh, recollection, without any research whatsoever. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> I think we well, I think we lost to Seska um, in the group stage in 2006-2007. I saw an amazing, another amazing stat, which is that, and and some highlights actually. We played uh, Seska in 06-07 in the Champions League group stage, and we drew nil nil with them at the, the Emirates Stadium, and it was extraordinary. Thierry Henry was playing, Cesc Fabregas, Thomas Rosicki, and they all missed. Series of incredible chances, oh, in particular. The, I saw the video. Did you see that video? Yeah. Oh my god, I had forgotten that game. Yeah, and that Rosicki miss in particular is incredible, isn't it? It's an open goal, and he manages to put it into the keeper's hands. Who's the keeper's not even in the goal? Yeah, it's um, it's yeah, an, an incredible miss, and some of the chances we missed that night. I think Henri missed a couple of good ones as well. Just one of those nights where the ball literally would not go into the net. Um. Mm. And I'll tell you what, that makes it all the more incredible. The, the goalkeeper then, who's the same goalkeeper now, was Akinfeyev, the, the Russian number one. Oh, yeah. And that was his, that was his only Champions League clean sheet uh, until this year. There was what? a run of over 40 games in the Champions League until November of this year that he finally got another Champions League clean sheet. 40 games. Wow, that's amazing. 
Yeah, it is incredible, isn't it? Fucking hell. I mean, did they consider in much the same way, perhaps, you could say that Seska uh, are, are very much like you, in that mm. they, at no point in that time, decided they might smarten up and get a new no. goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen him play a few times and never been particularly uh, impressed. And there you go. I think that record bears it out. It's an unbelievable figure. It really is. Um, I, he was linked to us quite a bit, I think, in the past. But then I think m- most goalkeepers have been I think linked they with all us. Have, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. Sort of the Sebastian Frey model. Yeah. But uh yeah, they, so they were they started the season in the Champions League. They're one of the clubs who's dropped out of the Champions League. They're currently a third in the Russian league behind the other two Moscow teams. I think it's Lokomotiv and, and Spartak. Um they beat Leon in the last round, which is, mm. you know, fairly impressive, isn't it? Because Leon must have been absolutely geared up to get to the final. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would have been amazing for them. Obviously, the final taking place at their ground. But, I mean, in terms of the draw itself, as tricky as it is, uh, do you feel confident that we've got enough? The first leg is at home. Should that be an issue? I prefer having the first leg uh, away from home because I feel like you come back to your place and you can, you know what you have to do. But I think Arsenal have to just go out and win that game because, as you say, our record in in Russia isn't great. And look, our record on the road full stop this season isn't great or be better in Europe. So uh, you can't blame that. Look, if Arsenal can't beat Seska Moscow over two legs, they really don't deserve to win the Europa League, do they? So job's got to get done. I'm relatively confident it could have been worse. Yeah, I think it could have been worse. Obviously, Atletico Madrid were the team that we wanted to avoid. Um... Who did they get? I can't remember the rest of the draw. They got uh, Sporting. Sporting Lisbon. Right. Is uh, is Joel Campbell on loan at Sporting Lisbon? Or is he a... I don't know what happened with Joel Campbell. There was some talk about him coming back in January, wasn't there? For what, though? Uh, (laughs) Oh, he went to Betis. He he, he did come back from Sporting and then he went back to Real Betis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It didn't work out for him at at Sporting. No. Mm. Uh, and then I think the other sort of intriguing draw, was it, I think, I mean, I felt like I'm guessing now, who did Lazio get? Did they get uh, Leipzig or something like that? There was a, there was another draw of like two quite big teams together that I thought, oh, okay, this is quite good for us. Yeah. And it was Leipzig got Marseille. That was it. Leipzig right. Okay. So look, you know, there's a potential for us to go through quarterfinal, then you're in a semi-final. Then it then it starts to get really interesting. I think. Uh, I've booked a hotel in Leon. Have you? Yeah, yeah. You have. I've booked a hotel. Speculatively, speculatively. Did you? Uh, I've got did free you use cancellation? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I was going to say, did you use uh, one of those uh, Trivago type websites? Uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can pull it at a week's notice. But I just, you know. <laughs> Maybe everyone's going to shout at me now for for jinxing it, but I just have that hint of optimism creeping in. When you're in the quarterfinals of a tournament, you can't help but think it's it's on the horizon, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And uh, you know, you get get through these games, and then you really start thinking about about the final. Um, was it a nice hotel? Did you book, or was it just functional? What would you say? It's functional. It's functional. It's well located, but functional. That's what I would say. Okay. I, I mean, can't announce it on here. It'll be full. Everyone will be want to be in the hotel with me, partying in Leon, you know. <laughs> I just want a peaceful time. I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be, gr- it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? I was chatting to some 
to my cousin actually at my grandmother's uh, party, and who's a big Arsenal fan, Sam. He he was the guy who went to the fan forum and chatted to Gazidis and Raul and oh, all yeah. those quotes to you guys. And he, we were chatting about Leon. It would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Because you know, you and mm. I were both in Paris at a European final. Obviously, the result didn't go away, but I do still look back on it as one of my fondest days as an Arsenal fan. Nevertheless, the day itself was fantastic. That was an amazing day, wasn't it? Playing football outside the the pub. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it Kitty O'Shea's, I think, was the pub in Paris? And someone had a yeah. football and we were playing uh, literally in the streets and booting the ball. It kept going in the window of this post office. I think it was a big post-sorting office, perhaps. And they throw the ball back out. And then eventually we were told to stop playing by uh, policemen with machine guns. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were quite convincing. They were quite convincing. But I think uh, maybe I've remembered the, the details of this wrong. But I definitely have a memory that Sir Alex Ferguson went past in a, in the back of a car, and someone booted the ball against the window of the car. Oh, I haven't yeah. created that, have I? I think that could be true. Actually, I think it is true. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great day and a great occasion, and it would be lovely. I think Leon, by all accounts, is a very nice city. So, yeah, I'm on for it. I might pre-book a hotel myself uh, to make sure I that we're absolutely thoroughly jinxed. Um, we do, exactly, we do put a live podcast in Leon on the Thursday <laughs> where we apologise for jinxing the result. <laughs> uh, I had the best kebab of my life after the Champions League final in 2006. Really? Uh huh. Well, actually, no, I tell a lie. The second best. The first best kebab I had was in Perpignan. When I was coming up from Barcelona on the train, the train stopped in Perpignan. You had to change. Uh, So I got a kebab in Perpignan, which was absolutely outrageously good. I would go back to Perpignan just for that, uh, if I could find it again. But the second best one was after after the game, uh, went back to the trains, Got off the. I don't know why myself and my uh, Swedish friend Chris. We got off the train. It was, if you remember correctly, pissing with rain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we. This was like well before Google Maps and all that kind of stuff. So you get off the train. We got off at the wrong place. Probably three or four stops too early. I don't know why. We, it just looked familiar out the window. So we got off and then had no idea which way we were going. Uh, we tried to get a taxi. Every taxi that went by saw our Arsenal shirts on and went, fuck that, I'm not picking those guys up. Uh, so eventually we walked back to the really terrible, terrible hotel that we were staying in and went upstairs, turned the telly on, and the first thing that we saw was a replay of the first goal, which of course was offside. That yeah. made me very crawl. So I went downstairs and there was a kebab place down underneath the hotel where we were staying and I had a very, very, very delicious kebab. And I always remember it. There's nothing more comforting than a delicious kebab. You know, there's there's a time and a place for it where it just can't be beaten. Um, yes, well, exactly. Let's, not hope, let's hope we're not crying into our kebabs come May. Exactly. Let's hope we, we can uh, enjoy our congealed lamb slices and bits and stuff with uh, with a trophy. That would be that'd be absolutely lovely, I think. I, uh, I had a kebab van at my wedding. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I did. You had a kebab van at your wedding. I did, yeah, I did. My uh, wife is uh, her dad is Turkish. Right. And that's his. That's his trade. That he he uh, he had his own kebab van for many many years, and so in keeping with that, it, we got the van down to the wedding. It arrived sort of in the late evening after everyone had had dinner, and people could just go and get kebabs late into the night. It was that's great. Awesome. 
That is. I'll rude. never forget the sight of my newlywed wife in her wedding dress inside the kebab van slicing donomit. It was a. Uh, Quite the visual. Sure is. Holy moly, that's brilliant. What a great idea. <laughs> Wedding kebabs, I love it. That's fucking it was, sensational. It was good. Let um, me ask you... Do you know... Go on. Oh, go, go on. on. No. Oh. Ask me. I was going to ask you, uh, at your uh, event at the weekend, your cousin Sam, did, did he turn yeah. up in a, nice, uh, in a nice outfit? Was he smartly dressed or was he... Uh, <laughs> Digging, the doing memo. the hobo look he like you. There was a collar, do you know what I mean? Uh, he, he wasn't like... I don't mind saying he wasn't the most dapper there, but he'd made a little bit of effort. He showed me up, if anything. Right. Okay. Well, that's fine. I was just you know putting that into context. What were you going to ask? <laughs> I was going to say that speaking of celebrations and my wedding, do you know that it is Hector Bellerin's birthday today? I didn't know that, and I try very hard not to get involved in any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Like, birthdays? No, not 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 birthdays. Obviously, if it's someone you know or in your family, and it's their birthday or a friend, that's fine. But I, you know, this this thing that football clubs have now of wishing everybody who ever played for the fucking club a happy birthday. There's one every single day, practically, because of how many players have played. Manchester United would like to wish happy birthday to Arthur Albiston. It's like fuck off. Who cares? <laughs> he doesn't care. You know, I, I hate that. I just don't, I don't really get on board with that as much as I can. The, ex- the exciting thing about footballers' birthdays, when I used to play championship manager back in the mid-90s, you know, 95, 96, around then, on a young player's birthday, his stats would increase. No way, really? But, it yeah, just yeah, like- yeah, it would be on the birthday that his strength would go up from 8 to 11 out of 20. Um, so who knows? Maybe Hector Bella in 23 today, maybe his, his stats will, will go through the Similarly, roof. they would wane at the other end of their careers mm. on the birthday. That's why I find sometimes with FIFA, uh, it's a bit problematic, isn't it? When you've got young players in the squad and, you know, we know they've got to develop. They're not going to be the 80s and 90s players. Uh, I'm talking about their overall stats. Um, sure. not Not from that time period, of course. That's... That's a different thing altogether. But I find it really weird where, like, their pace, you've got a 16 or 17-year-old, and the pace is, like, 32. And it's like, hang on, he's fucking 16. He's almost mm-hmm. as fast as he's ever going to be. And the one that really, really fucking annoys me is the short pass speed. Right. Why, why does that annoy you so much? But why, why would that get any faster <laughs> at 17... And, or when you're 30, like do players uh, over the course of their career with coaching, do they develop the ability to kick the ball slightly harder when they're making a pass? No. I mean, I get shot power. I get accuracy. I get those kind of things. But the short pass speed when it's like 23 and you're going, no, he can kick it square to me just as fast as I could kick it to him. And I'm like a an experienced player. I don't like that at all. I think that's a huge flaw in the whole FIFA thing. You make a good point, you know. It is a disproportionate scoring system. Mm. They need to sort that out, really, or they could lose one very angry Irishman's custom. Absolutely, absolutely. Although I did buy uh, FIFA 18. Have you got FIFA 18? Because we've been asked... It's, it's so many times, so many times. We have been asked. I've got the... There's a tweet here, I think, uh, from Damon, uh, who said, on the 2nd of July... Guys, surely this summer, this, this is the perfect time for that long-awaited game of FIFA. Make it happen. And today, yeah. 
Uh, Damon says, so this tweet was sent and wonderfully commented on eight and a half months ago on the Arscast Extra. <laughs> However, the FIFA match itself has not materialized. Now we're in an interlull. Is this the time? It could be. Do you know when you asked me if I had FIFA 18? Yeah. I don't even know anymore. I don't even know. I haven't played FIFA for so long. I don't even know which version of FIFA I last bought. So let, I will go away and find out. I think I do have FIFA 18. Right. We've got to do it then. We've got to do it during this interlull. Shall we commit to that? Yeah. Okay. We'll commit to that. I think we should put it behind the Patreon. We have a, a million subscribers. There's such a hunger to see this game. <laughs> I think we owe it to the people to make this one free to air rather I than uh, subscription right. based. So yeah, right. okay, we'll try and do that. Okay, look, I think what we'll do, uh, having waffled enough in this part, uh, is we'll take a break. We'll come back with some of your questions in part two right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, an interlull Arscast Extra. And this is the part of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And seeing as we mentioned the interlull, Stuart Redman, who's at AussieGooner86, wants to know, how do you get through no football for three weeks, i.e. the interlulls? Lots of people saying, what do we do during the interlull? How can we stay sane during the interlull? What are your suggestions? Uh, I mean, if you get desperate, you can watch international football, but I don't recommend it. Yeah, that's happening, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's all the... friendlies, isn't it? Because everyone's qualified for the World Cup already. Yeah. Uh, or, or failed to qualify. Already. Um, yeah. So there's sort of nothing really at stake apart from, you know, competition for places in World Cup squads, which, I mean, as an Englishman, that's it's very hard to get excited about that at the moment. The, the England squad that was announced for this international break I mean, it had Jake Livermore in it. I don't really know what else I need to say. Mm, Jake Livermore, yes, yes. It's hard to get. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to get uh, excited about that, isn't it? It is. I mean, no difficult. offense to Jake Livermore, but like, it's you know. It's yeah, hard. I mean, look, there are players in there who've, who've done well this season, like Pope and Tarkovsky from Burnley. They've had good seasons and they've overachieved, but as good as they've been, it is genuinely hard to, mm. you know, salivate about the prospect about seeing them at the World Cup. What else can you do during Something the Something else? I mean, Anything else? I mean, how yeah. about that? Like switch off Twitter and switch off Facebook and 
go out and do something that you that you have always wanted to do. Learn how to do something else. I, I noticed that you uh, tweeted a bit earlier about Duolingo, that you're getting trolled by Duolingo. What language are you I learning? Am. What language? Uh, I'm brushing up my Spanish, to be honest with you. Uh, but Duolingo are very... Have you ever used Duolingo yourself? Yeah, yeah, I have. And, uh, it's quite it's, good. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think... I, I'm coming out with a sort of basic working knowledge of the language and i think without that i don't know if you could sort of start completely have you ever tried to learn a language from scratch on duolingo no i am thinking of it though i'm thinking mm. of it yeah i'm thinking of trying to to learn italian but i believe it's very very difficult i believe right. italian is really quite difficult i think probably the grounding that i have with spanish might help in that regard but it's about committing the time you know all the best intentions and then it's like oh i can't be arsed yeah, that's it. Well, that's the nature of it. Duolingo, I think they want you to do a certain amount per day. And yeah. they're just constantly harassing me. They've got my email address. They've got my phone number. They're sending me alerts on my phone. I mean, honestly, I, I have a constant sense of dread and guilt about the fact that I haven't appeased that little green owl. Yeah, yeah, the little green owl of Duolingo. But that's what I mean. You could do something like that or, you know, learn how, well, to, actually, learn how to make bread or whatever. That's a good suggestion because we had a question. This is from Tom V. Wilkinson, who's at Victorious W on Twitter. And he says, I'm currently retraining into a welding career. Wow. My question is, if either of you could learn a new skill, i.e. like welding, what would it be? Baking. Baking. I've seen on Instagram, though, you're sort of making headway, aren't you? You're, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. There's some bread going on. There is some bread going on, but then I have to like ration the bread because, you know, bread is so delicious, uh, but also very fattening because, yeah. you know, it's bread and then there's butter and then there's stuff between the bread and the butter and all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to I'm trying to ration it. Yeah, but I like the idea of being a, a baker, not not like a fancy goods baker, not like cakes and stuff. I don't know if you could just be a bread baker. That's what I'd like to be, to to learn how to make all the different kinds of breads. Not cakes, mm. not pastel, uh, not uh, what you call them. Patisserie. Yeah, not a patisserie chef or baker. I would like to be a bread baker. That's a good one. The hours are a bit difficult, aren't they? You've got to get up in the morning and bake the bread so the bread's there for the people in the morning, etc., etc. You know, but I like, I just like the idea of learning how to do that. That's the best thing about sort of Mediterranean Europe, isn't it? I think that thing of, you know, you wake up in the morning, you go to the baker's, the bread's all fresh. Mm. I mean, you yeah. do get that in London, but not sort of, not in the same way. No, I mean, the you know, the bread is uh, amazing. In Spain, the very the bread was always delicious and all the different types of bread that you can get. It's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. What would you do? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, welding sounds cool, but it doesn't sound like something I should be allowed to do. No, definitely uh, not. Nothing with power tools or flames or or anything that, that might cut through your skin and bones. I think that would be a bad idea. Yeah, the idea. problem is everything I think of sounds quite dangerous. You know, I've always thought, oh, rock climbing looks fun. There's a big fashion at the moment in London for kind of free climbing. Um, but again... I, I have to ban myself from that sort of activity. Ah, you know um, what? I had a really weird dream last night where I was doing an event. I wrote about it in the blog. I was doing a football event, hosting like a discussion, and you were one of the panelists on the discussion where we were talking about football, et cetera, et cetera. It was taking place in Hollywood. It was sponsored by Red Bull. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was on the microphone. But you were like a fucking parkour guy. You could do like... Uh, 
spins and jumps and you could like tumbles and shit. You were like Black Panther. It was amazing. Why was I doing that? Was I doing it in the in the talk? Yeah, well, it was beforehand. You were just leaping around and everyone was really impressed with your agility and your suppleness. Wow. Yeah. Um, maybe I will choose parkour then. I mean, imagine if I no, could don't, do that. Don't, it would really no, impress people. No, don't. No, no don't. Seriously. Seriously, I wouldn't. What about, the, you know, going, uh, you know the way they say sometimes great players don't make great managers and a bad yeah. player can make a great manager. Why don't you become a tailor? Oh, I thought you were going to say do your coaching badges. No, um, don't, don't do that either. Uh, if bad players make good managers, I really, you know, I could be the next sensation. I could in, in, succeed as a manga. A tailor would be interesting. I'd like to, uh, you know, I'd love to know how to stitch a, a little jacket or something. Yeah, yeah. All those and inside leg measurements. One, which would be nice. <laughs> you could make uh, one for yourself, yeah. So... Okay, let's do that. And if I and yeah, if I can get my Spanish to like semi competent in the meantime with mm. the Duolingo, that'd be ideal. All right, here's a question from uh, James Black, who's at Rex Thunder, who wants to know how excited are you about the opportunity to significantly contribute to the relegation of Stoke? I'm very excited. Oh, I'm me very too. Excited me too. Me too. Me too. Uh, me too. That's our next home game, isn't it? Next game. Mm -hmm. Next game is Stoke at home. I mean, and we've got a very good record against Stoke at home and we're not that bad at home. So really, mm. we should be, you know, putting one of, not quite the final nail, but, you know, the penultimate nail. One of the last nails into the Premier League coffin of Stoke. Oh, that would be so good. I mean, and they don't have, uh, thankfully for us, they don't have Charlie Adam because uh, uh, of what he did in his 55 minutes <laughs> getting sent off. That for may the, be a good the thing for them, to be honest. It may well be. Uh, it may well be. His recent record. But yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, this Stoke, I think, are a bit less evil than some previous iterations of Stoke. But there's not much to like about them. I have to say, Paul Lambert's in charge there as well now, and I still haven't forgiven him for that incredibly boring Aston Villa team. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'd be glad to see glad to see them gone. We had another question, and I've lost it now, but someone else was asking about who do you want to see relegated this season? Have you got any strong feelings on that? West Brom are gone. I mean, poor old Kieran Gibbs there. Yeah, it hasn't worked out for him, obviously. Kieran Gibbs, West Brom are, yeah, pretty much doomed, aren't they? Like, mm. I think West Ham rescued a situation like that once. But I think looking at the teams that are down there right now, assuming West Brom are gone, Stoke, absolutely. Yeah, me too, Stoke. And then West Ham? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't, it's not necessarily because of West Ham as a club. I don't, although I do hate them for 1980, of course. Yeah, let that, bring back that memory. Let it fester. Remember the hate. Turn to yeah, the dark exactly. side. Feel it. Turn to the dark side, young Jedi. <laughs> uh, so yeah, West Ham. Fuck those guys. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I, I think maybe, I mean, West Ham definitely, you know, they're a club in a mess. They probably deserve to go down. They probably need a bit of a, a reboot. Um, so they would definitely be a contender, but the, the appointment of Mark Hughes at Southampton Ooh, tempts me. Yeah. Fuck. I forgot about that. You know, if you but, could get rid of Stoke and Mark Hughes in the same season. But he's only got a deal, I think, until the end of the season. So ultimately, he doesn't suffer. 
Southampton would suffer and Mark Hughes just walks away. But Southampton have quite a good record against us as well. I think, you know, for our points tally, losing Southampton might be a good thing. I mean, yeah. I like Southampton. I've got no no qualms with them. Um, but mm. someone's got to go. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, here's a question from Brian McCauley, who's at Brian D. McCauley, and he says, with all the talk of time running out on Wenger, I've been thinking about the clocks. Why does the match clock at the Emirates count down from 45 instead of up from zero? I blame Kroenke for introducing this American model of sports timekeeping. Except, am I right to think that that was the same at Highbury, wasn't it? It was indeed. As as far back as I remember, the clock has gone from 45 down to zero. It is a little curiosity, isn't it? It's unusual. Um, But, you know, you've always got, if, if, if if you're struggling to work out how long's gone, Number one, you're not very good at maths. But number two, you've you've always got the big clock on the clock end, haven't you, to work by? Yeah, um, or your watch, so that helps you. or your phone. Yeah. You know, yeah. those things That's are true. those things are handy. I wonder, is it because it only goes from forty five to zero, and if it went, uh, it can't go above forty five. So if it went from one to forty five, it couldn't go to forty six. Perhaps. Perhaps it's that. But I like as well that when it gets to zero, you know, the, the board goes up for how many minutes are left. But there's a bit of uncertainty then. You never really know in the ground where you are within stoppage time. Yeah. Um, Unless, of course, you look at your watch or your phone or uh, the clock. Yeah, yeah, I consider that cheating personally. <laughs> <laughs> one, uh, one thousand, but, two, one thousand, yeah. three, one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's the guy next to me does that every time. Um, can you imagine? But no, I, I it's always done that. I think yeah. it's one of, it's tradition now, isn't it? Isn't it? It's always, always been the way as far as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That, that answers that one. Uh, this is a relatively serious question from Troy Joseph on Twitter, at Troy Joseph 8 And he says, do you think the recent departures of homegrown players and the doubt over Ramsey, Bellerin and Wilshire will influence our transfer dealings this summer? And are there any homegrown players who you would like to see join the club? There's a, yeah, we had a similar question from Herbie Gunner at Herbie Gunner who says, with contracts up or running out for three of our main homegrown players, how will we meet our quota in the coming seasons? Um, will it affect? I must say, I've not done the maths. I've not worked out who is and who isn't and who qualifies and who doesn't and where it leaves us. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, Wilshire is one. How many do we have yeah. to have? You have to have seven or eight, is it? Or is that what the. It's eight now. Yeah. So, I mean, we do have. Uh, who have we got who would be homegrown? Uh, Rob Holding, Callum Chambers, Hector Bellerin would be one, I think. Aaron Ramsey, Jack yeah. Wilshire, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Alex Iwobi, Danny Welbeck. So that's that's eight, is it? I think that's yeah. eight. So there's doubts over Wilshire. Welbeck, I guess, is a, a doubt given his contractual situation. Aaron Ramsey, a doubt. Ramsey as well um, I don't know I, I do wonder if we might promote from within that might be a way of doing it like if Danny Welbeck goes do you then promote Eddie Nketia to the first mm-hmm. team squad to play the same kind of role within the squad that, that Danny Welbeck has this season he's going to be behind Lacazette and Aubameyang anyway and maybe he'll be a guy who plays in cup competitions or, or the Europa League early rounds of the Europa League if we're in that next season Um but yeah, I mean, it's got to be a consideration, I guess. Whether that means they're going to buy English or buy British players, I don't quite know. 
there's always a surplus on that, isn't there? And if our transfer uh, funds are limited to an extent, maybe you get better value elsewhere. So I don't know. That's a balancing act for whoever the manager is and whoever's uh, planning the squad. You wonder, though, if it's a something they're actually thinking about. Do you think there's anybody there at this moment in time with everything else that's going on thinking about, ooh, I wonder how many homegrown players we're going to have? Possibly not. And I think you can kind of get your way around the quota by, as you say, promoting academy players if you put Reese Nelson in the squad, if you put Joe Willock in the squad. But maybe that's why... Maybe that's why, you know, Johnny Evans has been a target potentially, that he would come under that quota too. Um, when you're looking at the goalkeeper situation, will that influence the thinking? Could a name like, and he's not at the best season, but could a name like Jack Butland maybe mm. take precedence over a foreign goalkeeper? Because, he, he, you know, if your goalkeeper is British, that you know that you're going to have one of that quota there. Um I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's one that I hadn't given much thought. But if some of those players leave this summer, and it looks like at least one or two will, mm. uh, it is something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Okay, here's a question from Ali at Q8, Ali underscore Q82, who's at uh, Arsenal underscore Q82. And he says, what percentage of Arsenal fans do you think are on Twitter? And do you consider irresponsible journalism to go out and write articles using words like most and many Arsenal fans based on Twitter replies slash abuse slash comments? Surely most Arsenal fans aren't even on Twitter. And he says this is in reference to uh, some of the uh, articles that came out last week about diving Danny Welbeck and uh, the, the, the reaction uh, presented of, of Arsenal fans. Many Arsenal fans didn't like it as if it was somehow representative. Right. I mean, I guess there are plenty of Arsenal fans who aren't on Twitter. The only thing I would say to that is that it, it's a... It's not a bad sort of pool. It's not a bad sample, is it? It's a broad enough... Uh, array of Arsenal fans that I think you can get a pretty good gauge on their response and their feeling about something. Is, mm. is that fair enough? Yeah, I think it's probably fair, depending on how how varied the uh, the fans that you're using in that in that sense are, right? Sure. Because yeah. I think there are in many ways. Uh, extremists, I think, uh, at, at all ends of the spectrum on Twitter, uh, in all football clubs and everything else. So it's whether you're getting uh, a truly representative mix of, of of Arsenal fans. I mean, if you see, we've talked about abuse before, where the club will tweet something or a player will tweet something. If he's not the most popular player, there'll be a litany of abuse underneath. Those people, I don't think, are representative of real Arsenal fans at all. I don't think you could consider them real Arsenal fans if they're gonna if they're gonna send abuse to players or or mm. even you know to each other you know just these are idiots so so leave them to one side but uh, yeah i mean i think it's very easy as well to to believe that everything that you're reading and seeing online is somehow represented in the real world that people feel the same way or that strongly or in the numbers that you think they do. Like your little Twitter experience that you've curated yourself, you've cultivated the following and you, you engage with the people that you engage with, that's, that's just your thing. That's your experience. It doesn't necessarily reflect anything else wider in society, only what you have created in there, right? That, so that's true. I mean, we've all cultivated our own little echo chamber, haven't we? Especially on Twitter. Echo chamber is a, world, a word I'm looking for. Sometimes, you know, I, I don't go looking for it or anything like that, but sometimes I'll get tagged into something and uh, you, you look at the replies and you look at what's going on and there are people who just spend all day long 
arguing with each other online. Twitter, Arsenal fans on Twitter, just arguing and arguing and arguing and trying to prove that they're a better fan. I'm a better fan than you because of this. You know, my outlook is this, therefore, blah, blah, blah. And it's just mind-boggling to me that people waste that much time trying to convince other people or trying to, like, why do you care what some other guy thinks? Why does it bother you if some guy thinks Arsene Wenger should go and you don't think he should go? Why can't he just have that opinion and you keep your fucking mouth shut? Similarly, the other way around. You know, you don't have to convince people that, you know, your point of view is the only point of view all the time. I just, it's incredible. If you get sucked into that wormhole at all, you can just see the same faces, the same names, all just arguing over and over and over again. And fuck me, do you not have anything better to do with your life than that? It's bananas. I, th- I guess that, I mean that is just the nature. Sorry, of- yeah, that just um, <laughs> sort of popped out there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Do you know something absolutely amazing? I wasn't going to tell you this. I accidentally left this conversation and came back, and you were still talking. What? Yeah. <laughs> I closed the tab by mistake and I was like, oh shit, I've disconnected the call. <laughs> and I was gone looking for the link. I came back into the chat and you were still going. And I thought, it's fine. I've completely got away with it. Uh, I wasn't going to mention it. I was just going to be like, yeah, good point, man. Yeah. You tell him. All right. Well, him. look, there you go. I'm glad to have. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to say after that. Your question. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's it brilliant. It was amazing. Um, okay. This is a, a good question from Matthew Cooper. I mean, it's not an easy question, but I like the question. He says, this morning I've been thinking about how funny it would be to recast Hector Bellerin as Del Boy in Only Fools and Horses and Nacho Monreal as Rodney. Right. I, I think that would be fantastic for the record, Matthew Cooper. And he says, which past or present Arsenal players would you like to cast in films or TV shows? Ooh, there's a good question. Um, mm. I think... Wow, that is a good question. It's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, are you casting them... Because Are there any Arsenal players who you look at and you think... I think they would legitimately be a very good actor. Like, do you remember Sol Campbell used to aspire? He used to say, I want to go to Hollywood and be an actor. Yeah. You looked at Sol Campbell and thought, I don't think that's going to happen. No, sorry. No, Sol. That's, yeah. It didn't happen (laughs) amazingly enough. No, you could chalk that up with all the other things that he said he wanted to do. But is there anyone who you do look at and think, I think you've got the chops. I think there's an Oscar winner in there somewhere. Um, Maybe Mohamed El Nenny. Interesting. Just because of the sort of personality that he has. Like you see the um you see the guys when they do the videos for, for the official website or the YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you yeah. know, at the end, click here to subscribe. subscribe. Yeah. S- subscribe. Like Alex Iwobi, I like Alex Iwobi's there's a brilliant one where Iwobi is going Oh, I said, subscribe, subscribe again. He's like, oh, and then he comes in behind him and just sticks his head around it. Well, he goes like, <gasps> which I yeah. think is hilarious. Um, but maybe El Nenny, maybe Hector, could he? Hector Bellerin himself could be a good one because of I his. Think uh, so, yeah. You could see Hector Bellerin playing like a. I don't know, like a villain in a sci-fi film, like in a sort of Fifth Element style movie. He's got the look for that. Our, our mate uh, West Antone often points out the resemblance between the Cray twins and, and Hector Bellerin. So a That's reboot, true, actually, yeah, a reboot of that would be quite good. 
Um, I would like to see who, I mean, past or present, did he say, or just... Yes, past or present, he said. I would like to see Dennis Bergkamp mm. and Ian Wright recreate the Lethal Weapon movies. Wow. That's a great shout. Yeah. That's it. I'm done thinking about this now. I can't think of a better idea. No, I than mean, that. you've done so well there that I think don't say any more words because, you know, <laughs> quit while you're ahead. Learn from Arsene Wenger. Mm. Um, that's a really good one. I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? I looked at like what's coming out soon. You know, is there something we could squeeze someone someone into? And I saw that they're rebooting for Netflix. They're rebooting uh, Lost in Space. Oh, really? And I thought, yeah. Danny Welbeck, Lost in Space, has such a ring to it. It's <laughs> like watching him play. Uh, yeah, that'd be quite good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just him wandering around a penalty area. <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole series. Yeah, Santi Cazorla could be one of the little kids from Stranger Things, couldn't he? Oh, imagine him on a bike cycling away from an alien or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Okay, here's a question uh, from, or have you got one more on that? No, I was just going to say, you know, the, his mate is 11, isn't it? Mr. Ozil, 11, the back on the shirt. Oh, very good. Nice. Mm. Nice. Okay, here's a question from Mandeep Singh, who is at Kickstrom and Live. Kickstrom and Live. Uh, and he says, and it's live. He says, when it comes to bringing back ex-Arsenal players to the club as part of the coaching or support staff, many names are discussed. Arteta, Henri, etc., etc. I'd like to know which ex-Arsenal players you would definitely not like to see anywhere uh, Arsenal in any capacity and why. Wow. Uh... I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I'm, 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 I suppose I'm, I'm torn between... Th- I made a lot of noises there, but no you words. Did. You I'm did. torn between thinking about players who I just sort of didn't really like or didn't take to, or players who I think wouldn't be good coaches. I mean, I'd be concerned if Emmanuel Abue, say, was put as the head of the academy, because for all his ability on the ball, he didn't have necessarily... He didn't seem to really understand what he was doing quite a lot of the time on and off the pitch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's reasonable. I mean, I would be a bit more uh, along the lines of someone like William Gallas, who I'd never want to see back at the club again because I thought he was a terrible captain and I can't imagine that he would be any better as a coach or anything like that. So he would be one of those players uh, who who I just would not want to see uh, anywhere near the club again. I must say, he he was around the club, wasn't he, recently? He was doing some punditry, I think. I saw him in the press room. And it, there was some quotes from him about Arsenal after the game. It was maybe against the, the Man City Premier League match where we lost just after the Carabao Cup final. Right. And he, he spoke about Arsenal in terms of like, we, you know, we are a great club. We should be. And what? I was like, you went to you play for Spurs, mate. Like, I don't feel any kind of affinity towards Gallas these days at all. I've sort of, I've essentially erased his time as an Arsenal player, really. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could. Um, I yeah. just, I just can't. Um, Quite amazing that signing panned out as badly as it did. On paper, it really wasn't that bad, but wasn't it though? I mean, he was very good for Chelsea, then, wasn't he? He was sort of excellent for them. Yeah, but I never liked it from the start. I did not like. Really? It. Yeah, yeah. You knew something was awry. 
I mean, he had threatened to score an own goal for Chelsea, hadn't he, or something like that before he left? That's what Chelsea said, I think, when he was, you know, yeah. angling to leave, that he um, he threatened to score own goals, which, I, you know, I'm not sure that's... I mean, <laughs> okay, no, no. Imagine I mean, you have to meeting. say no. I'd love to see that conversation play out. Mm. Is there anyone else who you would... I mean, you mentioned Sol Campbell. Would you have... He's not your favourite ex-player. Would you have reservations about him turning up at Arsenal in a coaching role? You know, I listened to him on the um, Highbury and Heels podcast. They had him yeah. on there quite recently, and I thought it was a very interesting episode, and he spoke really well about a lot of things and a lot of the uh, the experiences, uh, experiences he had as an Arsenal player. But I thought he sounded really unconvincing when it came to his coaching credentials and his desire to to be a coach. I'm not necessarily convinced that's what he wants to be, you know. Uh, as you say, he talked about being an actor and then he talked about being in politics, didn't he? Um, mm. So, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. But no, I, do, I just don't see him as somebody who who would contribute in a positive way. Um Maybe I wouldn't bring back, uh, I don't know, <sighs> Silvestre is another one I wouldn't bring back. Yeah, he, and he has worked in the game, uh, I think as a kind of director of football figure. So he is still around football doing bits and pieces. I think he might have done some agenting too. So, yeah, I wouldn't be crying out for him to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, I'm pretty happy with Jens Lehmann, I must say. When they appointed him in the summer, you know, I think most Arsenal fans were united in that being a pretty positive appointment. So that wasn't a bad choice of all the ex-players who are out there. No, no, no. I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see as and when changes are made at the club, you know, what happens to to someone like Jens Lehmann because yeah. he's an Arsene Wenger appointment. Will he be uh, retained? Or as often happens when managers uh, change, the coaching staff go as well. So, um, yeah, that that will be interesting because he is, you know, one of the former players who's come back and has got a role at the club right now and uh, was there as a as a, a winning player, as somebody who won a lot of things. Um, Fabian Caballero, I don't think I'd bring him back. I think he could succeed Arsene Wenger. You think I so? I think he's the next manager. <laughs> right, the... Uh, the uh, uh, Fabian Caballero, Lee Canneville, Dream Team, getting back yeah, together. Exactly. Well, why not Nelson Vivas, eh? Yeah, I mean, he's he's got some experience and he fights the fans. That would be amusing. Yeah. <laughs> that really would be amusing. Um, yeah. I think we've talked about that before, but uh, you know who I would have back, though? Morris Voltz. He seemed always great value, didn't he? He would just seem like a f- happy, fun guy. I think he's doing some, I could be wrong, but I think he's doing some scouting for us in Germany. Really? Yeah, I, I think that. I, think I, mean, I he read had to that. retire very early, didn't he? Because of injury problems. I think so. I think so. But uh, yeah, he's uh, still still only thirty five. Uh, yeah, scouting. There I think you go. He has done some. He's, he's currently Arsenal's main German scout, apparently. Wow! Wow, that's great. Right. Well, there you go. So we do have him back. We made it happen. That's great. I'm, I'm chuffed that for Roger. He was a real sort of. Uh, good character. Yeah. Uh, didn't he have a 
blog, I think. I think he had a blog, Moritz Volz. Yeah, he had a, he had, I think it was called Volzi.com. He had a website and he wrote stuff on it. It was really quite uh, charming and uh, and funny. Uh, when he went to Fulham, I think he kept it up, but I don't think it's there anymore. But uh, there you go. Anyway, I've got one more question and then you might have one I've more. Gone. I don't know if you do, but we'll try this one. Just I've uh, got one. I've okay. Got one. Uh, it comes from Freddie, who's at Gunnar Hoya, who says, will Wenger crack before this season end and begin giving younger question mark players, uh, holding Nelson and at all more time in the Premier League first team? Uh, I think around the Europa League games, he will rotate, you know, like he did against Watford. And I think holding, yes. Um, I, I, I'm not necessarily sure I see him starting Nketiah because he's got Aubameyang who can only play in those Premier League games. So you'd have to think if he's fit, he's nailed on to start every match. Maybe he'll get off the bench, but mm. I think the likes of Holding, Chambers, um, who else might get a game? They're the main ones. I think Willock and Nelson have got a chance. Maitland-Niles, I think, will get game time. Uh, well, but he's been, he's been like, getting it, yeah, you know. Um, exactly. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily see Nketiah getting the opportunity. And I, I'd, be, I'd love to see Nelson get some yeah. games. It just doesn't feel like it's hugely on the cards. Do you think it's going to happen? I don't know. I think it depends on the Europa League campaign to an extent because it's a, it's a sort of a balancing act in a way in that you want to keep momentum going. You want to, if you've got good results, you kind of want those players to stay really match sharp and match fit and get the confidence from playing in those games because it could help us in Europe. If we go out of Europe, I think there's probably a bit more scope for him to make changes uh, in the final part of the season to give some playing time to, to guys who who are perhaps the future and uh, could could. Uh, merit and benefit from a chance of playing first team football when there's very little else to play for for the rest of the season so I think as long as we remain in Europe we're going to see relatively strong teams the ideal I suppose would be to put yourself uh, in a position where in certain games if you've got the right kind of a lead then you can bring on someone like Reese Nelson or Joe Willock or Enketia just to give them a, a few more minutes. But when you look at what we've got up front with uh, Lacazette, Aubameyang, uh, they, they'll rotate, obviously, uh, in Europe, I guess, because uh, Aubameyang can't play there. But in Premier League terms, Welbeck's there as well. So it might be hard, but I think um, I don't think it could hurt if we're out of Europe and there's nothing left to play for this season. I think it might just be the the last thing that fans have got to kind of cling on to for the rest of the campaign is to see, okay, this is the next generation. And Wenger spoke quite strongly a couple of weeks ago about how he sees this new generation, this next generation of young talent at the club, how uh, it's got to be given a chance. So uh, he, he said it, so let's see him do it. Mm. And I think the Lacazette thing is really interesting as well, just on a separate note, because he's been out for a little while now, and I don't think you can just plunge him into those Moscow games with no uh, game time, with no kind of match fitness. So maybe you have to try and squeeze him into that Premier League eleven, if even if not for the full game, but mm. you've got to give him minutes here and there just to get him sharp. So yeah. that's another problem for Arsene Wenger to solve. I think he, I think he will be back for Stoke. That's the plan for Lacazette right. anyway. So yeah. Right. All right. But but will you play him? You know, that's the question. If you've mm. got Aubameyang, do you play them both? Do you, I, it's an that would be one. interesting, yeah. Playing yeah. them both would be interesting. So, 
Uh, last question from me then. So sure. this is from Neil Heffernan, who's at Hefty Guna on Twitter. And Neil says, sorrowfully, Neil says, I know he's gone now and I should just get over it. But is Mo Salah the player we hoped and expected Theo Walcott to be? He wrecked my head, but I feel there was more there. No. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> is he the player we... No, no. I don't. Th- I think Salah's a very different kind of player, isn't he, from Walcott? Um, what a fucking season he's having. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. I mean, they're both very quick. I'll give them that. And they both play sort of nominally from the right-hand side. But the, the way that Salah... I mean, he's pretty phenomenal to watch. He's The way he's got that low centre of gravity and he's able to shift the ball and hit the ball with almost no backlift at any time. I mean, he needs no space to get a shot away. Mm. I don't think Walcott has ever really been good in crowds in the same way. I think that's no. the main difference, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But he's gone, so I don't want to talk about him anymore. Um, so yeah. I'm going to finish with a question from uh, Guy Alexander, who's at Guy Alexander, and he said, Hi, fellas, as I live in Melbourne, I no longer have to put up with all the terrible punditry and backpage hysteria, Welbeck penalty, Ozil drama, etc., which I'm really glad about. He says, Which part of the game do you wish you could get rid of and why? Which part of the game? Um, I mean, the game, the coverage, the associated, everything that goes on. I mean, I'm really struggling with VAR at the moment, I have to be honest. I saw mm. it in action again at the weekend really ineffectively. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sort of completely opposed to it, but I really wish we could accelerate through this bit where it's a bit crap. Yeah. Um, that would be nice. Uh, aside from that... I guess, I mean, I imagine some of the stuff you were talking about when I left the phone call for a bit. Oh, basically that was just two minutes of me calling you a cunt because I knew you were gone. Uh, Yeah, that's the bit of the game I'd like to lose. If we could, (laughs) people calling me a cunt, if we could just cut down on that. Then that would be ideal. Yeah. That'd be lovely. I think Is there I would. Think you would strike yeah. off. Yeah. Um, well, what I would like to be able to do is get rid of commentary if I wanted. When I'm watching a live game, I'd like to be able to watch it without commentary. Simple. You've said that before. Yeah. Just no commentary. Crowd noise is all I need. I don't need to hear the pundit if I don't want to hear him. I don't want to hear the commentator if I don't want to hear him. Sometimes they're there and sometimes they add color and sometimes they bring, you know, they bring good commentator can bring something to a game when you're watching it. But I think in some ways our opinions of games are very often colored by what we hear rather than what we see. So I think, and I, I'm not suggesting that television companies and broadcasters are that cynical that they might decide on a narrative before a game or during a game or anything like that. Heaven forbid that they might take one little snippet of something and blow it up into a a whole big story for no good reason. I just think that because of what we hear and what they choose to focus on and what they choose to cover, it has a huge impact on the way people think about what they've seen. Whereas if you just see it, you make up your own mind about which was the important bit, which was the contentious bit, which was the game-changing bit, rather than being told over and over and over, this is the bit that changed the game, or that was the moment, blah, 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 or that player had a terrible game. 
when actually he didn't really have a terrible game. He just had a couple of bad moments, you know, that kind of way. So Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it's often a genuine case of, I mean, I don't even like the word agenda, the way it's being used in sort of football discourse circles, but I don't think it is a case of companies having an agenda or uh, a bias. I think it's that television companies are in the entertainment business. It's show business. So they're looking for drama. And in order to illustrate that drama, to, to you know, light it up within games, they they adhere to certain narratives. They tell certain mm. stories. And that definitely does influence the way that we perceive and and watch games now that can make them more entertaining you know as a neutral as a neutral i kind of enjoy it i enjoy the storytelling element of the commentators and the, and the pundits and the kind of story they weave around the spectacle but particularly when it's your own club i think that's a really frustrating thing to observe happening yeah yeah it is it is so that's the one thing i would get rid of if i could yeah and Charlie Adam as well. Yeah, Charlie well. Adam, of course. Yes, let's not forget our our, uh, our duty to uh, rid football of Charlie Adam as much as possible. But look, <laughs> okay, we will uh, we will discuss offline what we're going to do with this FIFA thing. Um, we, we'll figure it out. We'll get it done during this interlal. We've made a solemn promise, and uh, well, we've said it out loud now. Although exactly. I haven't brought it's I haven't, on haven't record. Done, yeah, but I haven't I haven't put this out. We could just go back and edit that bit out, and nobody true, true, nobody true, would ever yeah. know. That's probably a good idea. Definitely do that. I'll de- yeah, okay. I'll go back <laughs> straight away and do that. Uh, we'll see what's going to happen with Friday. As there's no football, there may not be a podcast this Friday, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, if not, James and I will be here next Monday with another Arscast Extra. Thank you as ever for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.